Thank you for tuning in to the 2WA podcast, where we discuss topics relevant to leaders and tactics for change and growth. We're going to talk about what it's like and what it should be like to bring new people into your organization, uh, often called onboarding or orientation. There's a lot of different phrases. Um, We're going to try and stick to uh, not pigeonhole it into one definition or another, but give you kind of our thoughts as usual on what we've seen that uh, works well and what doesn't and some maybe pitfalls to uh, avoid and some lessons to embrace. Why don't we start first by maybe defining what onboarding or orientation is. Sometimes people see it as an event that they have a welcome day and you attend your two-hour new employee session and we're referring to a more effective approach which is making it uh, the whole process of integrating someone effectively into your culture into your team into your way of working we want to move beyond the presentation of your keys and your computer and telling you where to park to how do you bring someone in to fully engage with the the company So why don't we start, as we sometimes do, Michael, by sharing some stories. I think you even have one of, you know, what 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 do you not want orientation to look like? Or what are some pitfalls that you've seen? I'll use the story of, of my first job out of, uh, out of my MBA program where I was going into a construction manufacturing job. And I was asked to be the uh, the sales guy. Now um, I don't think it actually had a role at that po- title at that point, so it wasn't uh, like sales VP or something. Though that is what it became. Uh, and I recall the way it was introduced to me was, well, we don't have anyone doing it now, and we kind of need that. So would you like to do it? Which was a little backhanded, perhaps, but that was how I was oriented as well. Uh, here's where you sit. Here's your laptop. Here's a list of uh, some of our existing clients. Here's the names and addresses of the um, the um, network of agents that we had in the states. Off you go. You had to be a self starter, and it took me probably nine months to figure out what I should should not be doing. At least initially, I did not have the whole job figured out in nine months. But other than asking questions and being told very specifically, do it this way, or do it that way, there wasn't sort of a context piece. There wasn't a sense of of you know where does this all fit in? What are we trying to achieve? No vision, that sort of thing. So that's the way it was certainly 30 years ago, and uh, I would suggest in some of the clients that we see now, it hasn't changed. Many it has, but uh, that's still often a common way of doing things. It isn't just uncomfortable for the individual who's joining. It actually is very uncomfortable for all the other people because often when someone joins a company, they're joining to perform a new role. And in order to perform a new role, it means that other people have to let go of some things that they were doing to make space for that person. And I find that so often the organization hasn't really thought all of that out. So they haven't even fully communicated this new person is coming in and they're going to be taking on this role and this is the rationale. But they also then haven't really had the people work together to decide how can you best um, uh, integrate this individual and also how can you, you know, the, the power of relinquishing control because often the new person is coming in and taking on tasks or responsibility or phone calls or relationships that other people previously had. And when that's not well managed, 
that causes, as we often refer to, um, grass and, and grasses, it causes a lot of grief and resentment, anxiety, self-absorption and stress. And so I think it's really important to not only plan out the orientation for the new person, but also the orientation for the whole team as someone joins. Thinking about a particular situation with a client that we had, I'm sure many listeners have heard the, the concept that with teams, you have the point where the team forms and then they go through a storming and then they move into norms of how to behave and then they move to perform. And a lot of clients we've had said, you know, every time a new person comes, we got to go back and start again. And that isn't true if, in fact, the team plans for the new person to arrive and plans for integrating and explaining to them the norms, the unwritten rules of how this team operates. So I'm thinking actually of a client, it was in a childcare center, and we'd done a fair bit of work with the whole team about how they were gonna work, including some expectations that they had of their supervisor, what their supervisor should expect of them, how they're gonna work as peers, and then a situation happened where they were both going to have a new supervisor and a new team member. And I remember them calling me and saying, oh my goodness, and now we got all the work we did. we got to throw it all out. And I said, no, no, no. That is your orientation to your new supervisor and to your new team member. So day one, let's plan out the meeting. And they're like, but it's our supervisor. And I said, but it's your team. So why don't you at least tell the supervisor, these are the expectations we've created in the past of how what we do as a team, what we look to you to do, and vice versa, and the same for the new team member. And they said that that whole team um, meeting was really, really effective. And they said within about two weeks, we were back to the strides that we were making before, that we were moving from norming to performing again with two new people. Because they took the time to integrate and to and explain the ways of operating. So I think to be able to help yourself plan for the coming of a new employee, it's helpful to work through a couple different categories. So there are the basic logistics, but then it's moving on to what are some of the unwritten expectations, culture, of our way of working, and, and how are we going to orient the person to that is another whole area. And then there are things like what are the team goals, what are the performance expectations. And I think if you break it into a couple of categories like that, you can do very well. And with the culture, the more that the culture has been articulated, the better it is for the individual if they can understand, for example, what is our approach around clients or what is our approach around collaboration or how do we handle uh, problems. So we have one client where the whole issue around problems is never go it alone. Always make sure you engage as many people as quickly as possible if you have a problem. We have another client that's all about um, be innovative and independent and find a solution and um, don't ask uh, permission. And so you need to know which way you're playing uh, in order to be able to engage in that organization's culture. So the better off that someone can be in explaining the culture to the individual, the faster they are going to be able to integrate. And that's a strong argument for starting your onboarding, if you like, during the interview process, so people know what to expect. Are you going to fit in here? If you're someone who likes to be told what to do and there's strict rules, and we're putting you into a place where, well, it's pretty loosey-goosey and you can kind of do it whatever way you want to, not likely set up for success. So that person may not be a good fit. You need to think about that and make that clear so they people can also make make a decision. Someone I coached, I wasn't 
brought in to coach them because there were issues. I was brought in because they wanted, in my words, a smooth takeoff, a new sort of mid-level supervisor in a public health agency. She was very talented. She had a lot of uh, skills both as a, uh, uh, from the medical side of things, shall we say, the content side of things, and she's pretty natural with people. So she was pretty good at um, managing people. But still, she, they wanted to make sure she had a, a smooth takeoff, and, and we spent a lot of talking about some things she would do and wouldn't do and some of the personalities she had to deal with. I got her to identify 10 expectations of how she wanted people to work. She developed the 10, and they were behavioral statements. You know, do it this way. Don't, uh, you know, no surprises, as you referenced earlier, was there was an element of that in there. Don't make decisions that aren't yours to make was one of them, I recall, because they had people going off and making decisions that probably not just that the supervisor should have made them, but it needed more collective input before such a decision could be made. So she took them to her group of uh, eight or 10 direct reports, and they talked about them. Everyone thought these were reasonable expectations. And she got their expectations from her. What do you need from me to be successful is kind of how that conversation started. And at the end of the day, there was one set of expectations for everyone, and that was how you're going to do your job, not the what of it. We didn't talk about the medical content, public health side of things. We talked about how you need to behave to fit in and integrate in this particular organization with this new supervisor. And that apparently worked quite well. So, so I think out of that, we could you know, speak of sort of three really practical techniques one is to do, as you say, for anyone new, to make sure that they create a list of expectations of their understanding of what their manager should expect of them and what, uh, and what they should expect of their manager. And having that conversation and getting that written and agreed upon early on, I think is one very practical technique that can speed up being able to get well integrated. I think a second technique that's very practical that we find and relates to that is we often get someone to define what is in my triangle. And we refer to the triangle as what is within your decision-making authority. And so getting someone early on to define as a new employee, what are the decisions that I am expected to make? And what are the decisions that I need to go to my manager to have made? And there's lots of over, there's often confusion about, oh, well, I'm getting input, but being clear about at the end of the day, what are the decisions? So taking some time and we literally draw triangles on a piece of paper and have people jot down what are all the decisions that are within your triangle and the other. And speaking of orientation, we also recommend that people revisit that in about three months' time because after three months, I might be more comfortable with the new employee They might be, and I might be able to hand them a few more decisions that were in my triangle and move them over to theirs. I think the third practical technique that we've been talking about is taking the time to articulate your culture. And that's typically a little bit more than your values, but certainly starting with your company values are good, but other behavioral statements of how you do things. And I love your point, Michael, about not only do you want to articulate those to help explain um, the way of working to the new employee, but you want to actually articulate them so you're recruiting and uh, hiring using culture questions to get the right fit. But also over time, three months, six months, you can also use them to get that employee's viewpoints about to what extent are we honoring the culture that we told you we do. So in other words, getting them to now sort of share where are you seeing that we said we did it this way, but you're seeing some examples where we don't because that might be either the individual misunderstood 
Or it could be, gosh, we're starting to fray from the culture we stated, and those new eyes can really help you see your culture in some new ways. Just to finish that point, I might say that we're talking in this podcast about new hires. I would argue that's good for everybody in the organization. Um, People who've been here well may have fallen off from some of the behaviors we expect. Uh, It's a nice way to start to bring people back to understanding what's expected of everybody here and getting feedback regularly helps them improve. So I think maybe it'd be helpful we gave a couple examples of culture statements and expectation statements. So um, I pulled these from a a couple different customers. Uh, And so one of them just on culture statements is, for example, one of the statements is clients first. Uh, It's talking about you articulate to people, keeping your word, meeting deadlines, staying in scope communicating the client's goals and visions to everyone on the file. So taking the time to make sure there's that startup meeting with everyone would be an articulated behavior. Uh, Taking the time to explore are there other ways you could help the client by making introductions to other people within your organization who could help this person. Actually taking the time to celebrate the client's achievements and successes, uh, regardless of if you had a role to play in it. So those are examples of real behavioral statements that help you be able to, and you can get people to even give examples of where they have seen examples of those being put in place or where they haven't. Those are the types of things that we're talking about. And to to your point, Michael, about um, ways to use um, the culture statements on an ongoing basis, I've seen two very practical examples. One is we have one client who takes all of the uh, client feedback that they receive and they get all of the frontline staff to be involved in an exercise of sorting the, the feedback into is that an example of us modeling this behavior or not modeling this behavior so they actually take it and resort it using the culture themselves to be able to say oh look at that comment that's such a nice compliment of us putting the client first, or, oh gosh, that is such a clear statement of a time that we did not. And the other example, we had a whole bunch of internal teams and we worked with them to state some really clear expectations of how they need to work with each other. And we're now measuring for the third time the extent to which people see those behaviors in action. So when you do something like that, that not only is a really clear way to onboard someone new who's joined the team to learn, but it also reminds people this is five months since we started this project. So five months later about the behaviors that they agreed to to last November and remind them and have them self-reflect on their own behavior and the behavior of others. To what extent are those behaviors in play? How you do things is every bit as important as what you do. So we all know people, we've worked with people who are the trail of wreckage in their wake. They can get stuff done, but at a cost cost to relationships, cost to resources, all sorts of things, but they're deemed to be, well, they get stuff done. Then there's other people, probably not as noticed, who might get as much or more done, but they move much more smoothly through the water. They don't operate in a way that alienates people or annoys people or or that sort of thing, doesn't waste resources. And um, we, we all know which one we would like, at least I hope we do. Um, and how do you get there? And this is this is one of the ways that we can, we, we can do it is we start to talk a little bit about what we need. And I think too many leaders ignore that or don't think it's important. We just have to get some stuff done here. And that's really not the case. Uh, I think it would be better we start with or at least include how you work because people then know it's important. You've also sent the, the signal that it is important and people start to self-regulate. So I'm reminded, uh, we were at a, a McKay CEO forum um, 
uh, f- um, session as part of the uh, Deloitte Best Managed Program a couple years ago. And, and I can't remember the, the gentleman's name, but he was from Maple Lodge Farms, a big food company in Canada. And he was the CEO, and he was talking about the importance of his team and about culture and about fitting in. And he said, I have a six-member team. He said, they're all very good. But he said, they're all about the same level of you know, intelligence, each with their own personality, each with their own skills. But they fit very well together. He said, I've been in situations where we brought someone in who is head and shoulders above. They are. They are brilliant. They are, they are just what we need in certain situations, we think, or I should say, we thought, he said. Um, but what turned out was the personality didn't fit because the person saw themselves as quite different and other people didn't want to work with them and people started to avoid having to work with said individual. And as he went on to tell his story, he said, he, he came back to the point that said, I'd rather have a group of people who are more or less equal. They may not be geniuses, brilliant, you know, breathtakingly strategic, but they're smart and they know their jobs and they can work well with others. He said, I'll take that any day over a fractious team where we've got some people who won't play with others. And I'm reminded of a client, it's a law firm, and where uh, certain partners won't walk down certain hallways of this office that they're in because they don't like the partners on that particular hallway. And that means they're probably not collaborating with them, they're probably not working with them, they're not getting the benefit of their expertise and vice versa, but from their perspective, just don't want to, no fit. Now, that's something that should be dealt with because that just hurts the organization in the long term. Um, but we see similar similar uh, situations, not exactly people not walking down hallways, but people not wanting to work with each other. That's about culture and fit and expectations, and that's something you need to address immediately, not by severing people necessarily, but by making it clear, here's what we need around here in terms of how we work together. To wrap this up, I think what we'd like you to, to consider or, or leave with, if you like, is that... Um, you can set expectations of how you want people to operate and it need not be, um, you know, a long, laborious um, exercise or process. Identify what you see that you really like in terms of how people behave in your organization. Make notes in a few, maybe pick a top three or four or five. But also think about the things that maybe do drive you crazy or that you know get in the way or result in, in work not being optimized. And identify some of those and put that all together and make a set of statements that are positive in nature. You want to talk about what you expect from people rather than don't do this. Put that together. Get 10. I always come up with 10 just because it's so hard to remember any more than that. They should all be written down because if they're not written down, they don't exist. Socialize them. Sit down with the people involved and say, I'm, I'd like to talk about how we work. I'd like to show you this list. I'd like your input. I'll decide, but I want your input. What do you, do you think these are reasonable? And then make some changes based on the input you get and publish it. And then hold people accountable by meeting with them every month, six weeks, and say, hey, this is great. You really lined up well here. And that, that really helped in these ways. Here's a couple of things I'd like us to work on and um, make a plan. And people can walk away after a 15, 20-minute meeting. Again, doesn't need to be long and laborious and paper-driven. Uh, here's a couple of things that you're going to try to do differently. That's great. Let's meet in another month. And, and it becomes regular conversations. So think about trying to put that in place in your organization, and I think you'll see tremendous benefits. So this is Ann Birmingham and Michael House from 2WA Consulting. And if you want to give us a call and share what you do to orient and integrate a new employee, 
we'd be happy to review your list and help you perhaps come up with a couple new ideas. If you're looking for ways to state expectations or assess your culture, all things that we are more than happy to discuss and we'll buy the coffee. So thanks for listening. Find us on LinkedIn to continue the conversation and, and please support the podcast by subscribing and leaving a show review.